Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for being here today. I am deeply grateful to have Rabbi Peretz on the podcast. He's a dear friend. He is a heart-centered, brilliant mystic who seemingly has wisdom pouring from him at every single moment. So I'm really excited for you to listen to this episode. There's just gems around every corner. Uh, if you can carve out the time, please be sure to leave a five-star review and a written review of Altered Podcast as it will get the episode into more people's ears. And that is a very, very good thing. Fossil to another day on this planet. Mm. It's a good day. It's a fucking good day. I mean, you saw Hugo's reaction to you. That was straight good vibes. Epic vibes. Dude, your life force is so fierce. He was like, you're a drug. Uh, I need to get in here. I want all of it. Which is kind of how I think most people feel in your presence is that you help bring people more toward themselves. Mm. I try to operate with my light on. Mm -hmm. That's been like, you know, a big part of doing this, of just being able to give as kind of, you have to be on. And what does on mean? It means like coming from your best place. So that's what I felt this morning. Like I came here straight from my morning practice and meditation. And I'm like, you know, I'm feeling light and ready for the day. And like, who notices it the most? Hugo. Of course. I'll take it. That's beautiful. <laughs> Feel super received. Yeah. Amazing. So good. Um, I would love for you just to give us a little bit of a download about who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Well, my name is Peretz, and the word Peretz means breakthrough, and it's something that's been sitting with me my whole life. It's very apropos for you. <laughs> when I was younger, it felt like a burden, to be honest. It was like, people would say, oh, Peretz, big name. And in the community I grew up in, I grew up in a mystical community in Brooklyn, a Hasidic community. And my namesake, who was Peretz too, was a very breakthrough personality and was a Hasidic mystic. And... And I would say very impactful mystic. And I felt like I didn't want to do that. I'm not going to run away from that. Like that's, it's been done already. Right. If I have a feeling like something's been done, you're like, why do I have to put in all this work to do what's already been done? And you especially feel that I think when you're younger in school, yeah. like everybody's learning everything, but it's been done already. What, what am I here for? Mm. So I think for a long time, I sort of rejected that. And I was like, I'll figure it out. I don't know what I want to be. But now I know that I didn't know what I want to be because I have to do it. I have to continue being in the tradition of where I'm from and this mystical tradition. And, and a mystic is stuck with the responsibility of you have so you could give. Or you can even say you have to receive. But it's from a place of like you were given something and that's, and that's your gift to share. And that's the only way it can be experienced. It's like some things you have and you experience it by using it. Mysticism is something that you really experience it by sharing. Mm -hmm. So that's how I sort of led this life of started as a rabbi and, and more typical tried to build like a synagogue in San Francisco and the community, but eventually realized that what I really wanted to do was not lead a religious congregation, but to share the mysticism and give people the opportunity to see that in their own life too. We'll talk about a breakthrough. Right, like this is this is your breakthrough. This is the breakthrough. Right, and and you're allowing people in whatever tradition they celebrate, whatever tradition they feel called to, 
to more deeply understand mysticism, to more deeply understand your truth. You talk a lot about, um, you know, our daily Tanya. I would love for you to share where that started for you. And if there is a Tanya for today, I would love to hear it. Oh, great. <laughs> Breakthrough. Yeah. So the mystical tradition I'm a part of, I kind of sometimes think of like our Jewish ancestors, my Jewish ancestors as like spiritually indigenous because they didn't have land. So you can't say they're indigenous to certain land, even if people are like, well, Jews from Israel, but yeah, but we've been out of it for thousands of years. Like my ancestors haven't lived in the Holy Land for many generations, Mm -hmm. 2000 years minimum. So it's like, what are we indigenous to, right? Every human's indigenous to something. And, but we don't track it well. Like if, unless you're very close to where you're from, like they switched out the word indigenous for like national pride. Mm. But think about it more of like, well, where are you from? Why, where does your body respond to best? Where does your spirit become alive? And you'll have all these places that speak to you that you felt alive. I think for, for, for my tradition, I don't think any one place really felt that. It's more like in the mysticism, I feel the indigenous self. I feel like in there is where is where I am. I'm like, oh, that's where I'm from. So, and perhaps that's just really talking more to the spirit. And that's why it really doesn't matter who I'm engaged with. If, if there's an authentic connection and we're engaged on a healthy level, mm-hmm. we're going to be talking to the spirit ultimately. And less to where we're from and more where we're truly indigenously from. And that is from the spirit and from the soul, from like a pre-emergence state. Yes. So I like to speak about that. And in, um, in the beginning of this tradition, like 300 years ago, the Hasidic masters who were beginning the tradition knew that mysticism in the world was not truly accepted at the time. It was a tough time for mystics. And they led mostly secret ascetic lives. And they were trying to bring it out to the masses. It's kind of like they knew they had this like vision that the world's about to shift. And they were right, right? They saw the industrial revolution. Anybody with a great vision sees the future. Like imagine what people were seeing when the industrial revolution was started. They were seeing what it meant for all levels of society. So the mystics were seeing like, oh, we're going to become less and less dependent on day-to-day labor all day. So we're going to need more spirit to live with. We're just going to need it because if you if you work 24 hours, if you literally work, you get up in the morning and you work all day and night, you're not in an existential crisis. I have to work because that's what I need to do. Right. But when you have a lot of free time, it's both a luxury and a challenge. You have to start thinking about, well, like, what am I here for? Right. Like I can't be here just for work because right. I don't that's not what I need. So they started trying to develop a language for their people to see that even before it was necessary. So it's kind of like where when we tap into like the Tanya, the Tanya was a book written for the non-mystic to get into mysticism. So since it both correlates with my tradition, like I could trace my ancestors to that beginning to when this person, this name was Rupshneer Zalman, he wrote this book, the Tanya, that's what attracted my ancestors to that mystical tradition. That literally brought them there. So for me, this book that I channel and talk about is essentially like also my roots. It's my 300-year roots of father to son. Literally, my dad, his dad, all the way to the book. The first 
I would say my last name is Muchkin. The first Muchkin who showed up in my, that I can trace back, showed up to this book, showed up to this mystic. So it really is like, um, like, like, like I feel like it belongs to me, but the book wasn't written for me. It was written for anyone who needs to like, see what does a regular human have to do with mysticism? So that's kind of like how I, I uh, started to be like, you know, that's what I think my daily learning should really be centered around is like how my line came to this in the first place. Mm. And since um, growing up, they talked to me in schools. I went to mystical school and I, I used to think that this is what they were teaching me. And now I have friends from that school who are always like, what are you saying? <laughs> like, they didn't teach us this. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure we learned the same thing. They're like, no, nope. that's not it. I was like, oh, I'm channeling something. Okay, let's lean into that. What's What's been coming up? So that's kind of how the time came to be like a staple of, of what I'm living with. And the best thing to share anyone, any not only a mystic, anyone, you want to share with something, someone, you meet someone and they're like, what's going on? Well, what are you living with is really the question. And somebody says, what's up? It's like, what are you living with? Right. So if you're living with your stress, you're going to share your stress. Right. You know, if you're living with some Tanya, you're going to want to share the Tanya because that's what's like you're living with. So that's what I try to live with because I am a normal human. I have just as many stressful situations unfolding <laughs> like anyone else uh, at all times, seemingly. So um, having something to live with and be alive in with is um, super important to my day. It's super important to my interaction with people. Yes. In spirit, right? Inspiration. In spirit with breath. Isn't there a correlation between the word soul and breath in Hebrew? Yeah, the word for, for soul, one of the words for soul, because mystics have many words for soul, but one of them is neshama. And in Hebrew, neshima are the same letters, and neshima means breath, hmm. to breathe. So the soul and breath are essentially pulsate on the same frequency, I think would be the right way to say it. Like they're, they're actually pulsating the same way that breath needs to be cycled constantly. You know, what's more important, the inhale or the exhale? I think they're one and the same. They are. Right? They fold into each other, otherwise the other couldn't exist. Same as kind of soul. Soul is like it's in this world and it's not in this world. But it's it's, it's not an identity without both. Right. I recently had a, a journey. Um, it was a psilocybin journey. And there was so much about um, accepting the comings and goings of life. And how it's all just kind of continuing to move. And it was that it was that beautiful reminder of like the inhale, the exhale, and that moment of nothing in between is the birth, the life, and the death. And that's what our soul is experiencing in every moment. It's like continuing to to move with each cycle of breath. And it welcomes in a new moment. Every moment. That last one's gone. So what's present, what's, what, what's living in us right now, that's like, that's all we can work with is what's living in us right now. What is living in me right now? Well, I'll go to Tanya because that's what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, I see, I see the, the back and forth, by the way, of breath kind of as like retention and expansion. Sort of like we need both at all times. We need to both be tethered to body and spirit rooted and grounded but we also need to be expanding and light and, 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 and expand ourselves yeah and today's tanya is kind of like this idea he's talking to a very impoverished community there was a great war that they were coming out of russia against france 
against Napoleon, against the Tsar, mm. one of those epic um, years of struggle that really took already impoverished people and really made it challenging. You know, it was the type of town that if the army went through, they would just take all your food and resources because they're the army, they need the food. And then the other army would come through and take whatever you had left. So they were really left with very little. And at the time, Jewish community had very limited options for jobs. So he's literally addressing a community that is out of food, out of money, out of everything. And he says to them, I see your pain. I see your plight. We're all in it. It's difficult. I get it. Yet, why aren't people giving to the charity fund in the community? <laughs> and, and, and you're like, what? And he, and he starts and he gives this example. He's like, imagine there are two towns that share one water source, but the water source starts at one town and then flows to the next. What if the water is trickling down and there's not enough? Who has rights to the water? So the rule is that the town closest to it, the, up, the, up the river, it's their water source. Nevertheless, that town has no right to say that they can have water beyond thirst quenching. Like, that's the limit. So he's like, the same thing is, you're alive. Yeah, you're struggling. Yeah, it's difficult, but you're alive. That's your wellspring. You have a wellspring. So if you have more than being alive, Ask yourself what you can give. In other words, he doesn't want his community to ever forget that giving is part of breathing. It is part of living. It's part of existing. There is no time where it's like, I can't give right now. No, it may be that you need to give yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It may be that you need to tune into your own wellspring. But that's a form of giving too. That's a form of saying like, it's not that I'm not giving. I'm finding what to give right now. Like deeply. So in other words, from the mystic's point of view, we're always really here to be giving. The body is a giving vehicle. It gives energy. It gives to the world. And when we see that even our taking and even what we consume and what we're receiving is part of our giving, that's kind of the lesson that Tommy today was really talking about. And I really find that that resonates. I, I think I overgave a lot of my life because I would mean I'm a mystic. I'm here to give. So it's like give. And it's like, I didn't see giving to myself as an important part. You're young and you're excited and you're full of energy, but like now it's like, oh, that's how I give. I give through giving myself. It's part of this experience. Yes. So that's this, uh, that was today's time. That's what I was looking for this morning. Beautiful integration. And thank you for, for that um, piece on the, on the giving is also giving inward because that's so readily missed and I'm integrating that as well. And part of my kind of prayer right now that I'm working with, I don't know if you know a woman named Tosha Silver. She's, mm. She wrote a book called Change Me Prayers. They're beautiful. And one of the prayers is just change me to, to, to someone who is open to receiving. Change me to someone who is open to receiving. And, and that receiving is the giving to self as well. That's huge. Thank you for that. The high holy days are upon us. It's our it's our Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, yeah. Next Friday night, um, you know, people call it the New Year's, but Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year, and the head is, should be underlined here. Like means New Year's could be any day, any day you wake up and you're like, "That's it, I'm taking life." Well, it's kind of New Year's. It's an anniversary. It's the beginning of something. 
Yeah. Right? I mean, when is New Year's? Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what is the new year? What does that even mean? Right. New? New is now. Right. Now is new. So the head of the year. Is, and all the New Year's in, there's actually several New Year's in Jewish tradition. There's New Year for the trees. There's New Year's for holidays and miracles, like the Passover holiday is a New Year. Uh, so Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year. Head means, I mean, it means this. So you could just say it's the central nervous system. There's a certain like calibration of the mind and the head that we're trying to tune into. Mm-hmm. Or the head, Rosh means consciousness. Meaning like what's the highest level of self is consciousness. It's simply awareness of a being, of an individuality, of a unique spirit that we possess. So Rosh Hashanah is a celebration of human consciousness. It's one of those like holidays that's not really exclusively Jewish. The celebration happens in Jewish settings, but like it doesn't have to be exclusive to that because it's not about that Rosh Hashanah is literally a generic term for like it's a, it's a holiday celebrating human consciousness and it's not even about celebrating creation like we celebrate the development of the humans we are how do we celebrate our consciousness around this tradition but how do you celebrate consciousness also all the time I look at consciousness as the portal to a human partnership in this world like there's a certain engagement we have to the universe that we're partners with it. We have our ability to destroy the environment is just as great as our ability to bring healing. I don't subscribe to if there were no humans, the world would be better off. Right. It would be a jungle right. everywhere. For me, paradise is something with human elevated consciousness and being able to take itself out of it and then find its place in it. Speaking of jungle... Yeah. Hugo's here. <laughs> so that would mean, like, to me, consciousness is finding our place in the collective consciousness. Right. You know, in the collective, like, how do I fit into all this is the most important question we ask ourselves. That's what we're all trying to figure out, isn't it? The answer doesn't really need to be answered, you know, ex- you know, absolutely. But it's the question needs to be continuously asked, like, what is my role here? Before I walk into places, I often just take a moment to just breathe and think, what am I coming here for? Just to remember. Just like not take for granted that I'm visiting a friend or I'm, I'm hanging out with you. or What am I actually here for? And even if the answer is to hang out with a friend, all right, I'm going in consciousness. I understand what I'm doing. And when I don't do that, I find there's like this little tinge of anxiety. Like I'm like restless. But when I take just the, even the smallest seconds to take a deep breath in, and say in my mind, I am here for this. Now I have something to like, my body's like, oh, we know what we're here for. Right. And that's kind of Rosh Hashanah. Like the time to ask, what am I here for? Like, well, I'm here to, even if it's mundane, I'm here to be successful. I'm here to feel good. Just answer the question and give your body that attention to like, yeah, at least this is what I'm here for right now. Yeah. And it's okay if it takes a little while to answer that question. That's why Rosh Hashanah kind of has like phases, like the rituals sort of like come and go in the holiday, but the spirit of it is very clear. What does higher consciousness ask us? Like, how would we answer that question on a higher conscious level? Right. That's amazing. Um, as you were speaking, that that thought of 
what am I here for? What am I doing? Being like the anchor. I often tell my clients, like, who is who is driving the car in your life right now? And like, where is that leading you? Like, is is higher consciousness driving the car of your life, or is it fear? Am I stepping in with, oh my God, am I, am I enough to this conversation? Or am I stepping in with as much love and humility as, as, as I can? Like, it's like, who's on board? Um, and I love, I, I mean, I'm, I'm so in love with the way that you speak and the way that you share and these truths and particularly Jewish tradition with holidays like this where we're asked to actually contemplate and look at how we're showing up in in a higher state of consciousness, what our intention is kind of going in. And then there's Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement. Yeah. I I, I don't I call it a day of soul. I like that better. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow what, I like that better. What, what am I atoning for? Yeah. For what? For this life that I'm trying to manage? Right. You know? Like, a part of me is not sure about, like, evil. Right. For, and, I'm, and I don't mean pure, like, spiteful evil that's out there. Sure. That's in some conversation. But, like, on an individual level, when people feel guilt or, you know, and I go through that process myself, it's like it's always, for me, a reminder that Yom Kippur is not a day of atonement. It's a day where we, like, what would it be like to live like a soul? Oh, well, we wouldn't need food because we're, the breath is enough. You know, just breathing. Soul's good with that. That's what tethers it to life. So it's a life force. And what would we do? Well, we would praise and gratitude and meditate and tap in and be one with conscious energy. And that's really what the day's about. That's, and that's how I was brought up to see it. It was not brought up as a day of atonement at all. And so there's a certain, like... Um, there's a way to translate Yom Kippur as a day of lottery. Mm. As like when you tap into higher consciousness and you tap into soul, right. the soul looks at everything like, okay, there's this like higher lot of like, we don't really choose what we get. We sort of like, no matter what we go out there for and try to be successful, we get what we get. And now we have to make do with that. And the soul is fully comfortable with that. Whatever gets is cool. It's like, oh, this is the mission? Great. I'm on the mission. The body is a little like, wait, I have things I'm attracted to and desires. I'm like, I want things. I have needs, real needs. So uh, whereas Rosh Hashanah, I think the consciousness is really about tapping into our needs. Yom Kippur is about really, well, what is, what, let's feel the soul. Let's live like a soul for a little bit. Let's spend 24 hours as a soul. That's so good. So that kind of gives us like a, a different appreciation of having like two, like the beginning of the year, this 10 day period of beginning of the Jewish calendar is really this, it's a moon cycle. And the beginning of this moon cycle is really about like tapping into like, it's a pre winter cycle, essentially, spiritually. Anyways, it's like a pre, like, how do I get ready for like longer nights and shorter days where the emphasis is not on work, the emphasis on sort of contemplation sort of a romantic nature to the moonlight, to the light, to, to the nighttime. We sort of like calibrate that that's actually a good human space, that work is less and soul is more. So it's kind of like having us oscillate with these ideas. And I think the mystics kind of got it right where they're like, if you do it well, a whole year you can draw from it. 
Like if you open up these portals for one day, for these three days, or mm-hmm. two days, you know, one day, you can have, you have a whole year. It's like if you have a really great retreat, right. it, you're supposed to be able for months right. to be able like to get on it. You don't need it every weekend. Right, right. That's <laughs> what I mean. Like when you yeah. create a retreat, you're not creating it so that people should come every week. It's like, right. no, it's actually, this is an experience I hope like once a year, right. you know, it's like really fills you up. That's that thing. You know, vacations are not like that, right? We need vacations regularly because we need to remember that we're not bound to our work, per se. Living life is important, but a retreat is different. Mm -hmm. So this is sort of like, there's sort of Jewish holidays are kind of like retreats. Mm -hmm. And I like to reimagine them as very useful. (laughs) Not just like old, outdated concepts, because there is that. There's a story behind it. There's a tradition behind it. There are rituals with it. But at its core... I'm just not sure these things were started to just keep rituals going right. and to just keep memory going. Uh, it's, it's a lovely component, but that can't be what it's all about. Right. It's, it's about essentially you having opportunities like little retreats on the calendar mm-hmm. to like go out of what you're living and have the time and resources to really contemplate deeper parts of yourself, really elevate your consciousness. Right. If people don't know how to contemplate their own consciousness or how to get back in touch. What are some things that you can offer people? What would you tell someone who's like, I don't know how to contemplate my consciousness. What would you tell them to do or to experience or be? Well, why don't we like take a step back? Like that question could be asked for also like um, people's perception of God or divine right. energy or things like that. And like, if somebody's like, look, I don't believe in God or I don't, you know, this divine, it's not for me. Like, okay. I'm not offended by that because I hope what really they're saying is, is like, look, I just don't connect with it. Right. And that's real. I want real. Mm-hmm. I want authenticity. Mm-hmm. You authentically don't buy it. Don't buy it. Like be real about it. But you grow every day. Every single day, you accumulate more data, mm-hmm. more experience. You're a sponge for what's happening in the universe, mm-hmm. hopefully. And so therefore you're expanding. And in that expansion, do you keep asking the question, what do I believe in? That's what expanding consciousness is. Even if like, I don't get it. I don't know how to meditate. I don't get in, but like, let's stop for a second and be like, well, what do you believe in today? And can you ask that question every day? Maybe once a week. And if it's still the same answer week after week after week, perhaps that's an area of your life that's not growing. And if one area of your life not growing, then there's probably multiple areas of your life not growing. So these are like the patterns it's kind of like uh, somebody's like, I'm an atheist. I'm like, well, what do you think God is? And they explain me God as a teenager would. And I'm like, oh, you haven't thought about this since you're a teenager. Like you, you right. had that great epiphany. Mm-hmm. Like God doesn't exist. And it's essential uh, cellular body expansion happening at all times. Mm-hmm. And you fully subscribe to this evolutionary process. And I'm like, great. But why hasn't that evolved? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> you have. <laughs> yeah. You're clearly smarter and more capable and have read more and learned more like Probably grew a few inches. <laughs> deeper expansion of that feeling. Like, stop describing these incredibly wonderful, um, provocative ideas that stimulate real, you know, emotional response and consciousness response. And stop keeping it as a teenager, as a 20-year-old in college. Like, where is the elevated conversation? So I think that's what I'm kind of like, ask people of, of like, if you forget, I'll give you wisdom and say, oh, I like what Parrot says, oh, let's copy that. Like, fine, but that's, that's not real flattery. Flattery is like, you inspired me to have another conversation with myself. Right. Oh, I'm in, I'm into that. Yeah. So that's, you allow me to go deeper. 
yeah. with myself or with my loved ones. Yeah. So that's kind of how I see the God conversation, consciousness conversation, collective consciousness. I see it as like, just start where you're at today. What do you actually think is going on right now? And track it for a little bit. And if it doesn't grow at all, ask yourself why. Why why isn't your like component of expansion not expanding? Right. And I see a lot of healing there. I see a lot of healing in allowing ourselves to expand and to have that conversation, that eternal dialogue. Right. And you don't have to don't you don't have to worry. You don't have to become non-atheist fellows. You don't have to become non-godly. Like it's just a matter of like in Judaism and in other religions, it's like they're against idol worship and they mean worshiping something that's not their belief. Right. Well, why not just say idol worship is idol? Something just not doing anything. Oh. Just staying idle. Still. Yes. Where's life is growth right. and, and decay. Right. I mean, things are constantly like you go down to the molecule and it's moving with all of its spirit, right? The, the molecules are like on fire. Yes. I'm here for it. Yes. I'm here. I'm alive. That's right. And somehow, like, our grandest ideas of existence can be dead in us. Ah, those need to be alive. That's the that's the heart of life. Getting it. It's such a privilege to get to be an atheist or a believer. It's such a privilege to have, like, an idea that, like, inspires you to live a certain way. And to live with a certain way will mean living with intention. And intentional living is, you know, you don't feel as bad when things don't work out. And you're not so full of yourself when things do work out. Because you intentionally knew that so much had to come together for that to really manifest. Awesome. Ram Dass, who's, he's like my greatest, I just love him. Everything he says, I'm like, yes. Um, big teacher for me. He talks about also as his mantra, you just won the lottery. Ah, so. You just got cancer. Ah, so. Right? It's like mm. the, the kind of like non-attachment that comes mm. with intentional living, right? You're not like, oh, well, I, I'm just here to do love, right? I'm just, I'm just here to do, do life consciously or what I believe in in this moment is my own expansion. And so if that comes with, oh, I just got cancer, it's also, it's, it's met with a curiosity rather than a resistance. Mm. There's a level of surrender, not in a defeat way, just in a, in like an outrageous openness way to life. And we're not so attached to what we think it should look like. Yeah. I mean, attachment is interesting because we all have some attachment, like we're attached to not being attached. Yeah, you know? totally. like, I'm very attached. Right? You know, so like, like yeah. what is attachment? So like for me, attachment is connection. And it's more like, what am I connected to? And like love, like when, when love is like a healthy connection, the mysticism that, that actually was timed a few days ago, is like love attachment becomes compassion. And compassion is like where I don't lose myself in the love. Ah. Like it's, I recognize that I'm an agent of love. That's like empathy and compassion and like that. It's like love itself is hard to utilize. Mm. Like, what do I do with love? It could be overwhelming. It could also be like confusing. I love something I can't go further with. You know, something loves me and I don't know how to receive it. You know, but compassion and empathy are like, oh, myself is online. 
for this learning experience. So it's like there's like a, a sense of self within it. So I, I don't know if we can practice total detachment. Like I, I'm not sure I can subscribe to that even mystically. Total detachment is death. Mm-hmm. You know, and and if death isn't really death, right? Then it's also not total detachment. I think that would be the difference between like a creator and creation. If you like call God by a greater name, it would be sovereignty. That would be like a way to say what does sovereign mean? Its own entity. Nothing really is its own entity. So whatever God is to me, it's just its own entity. Mm-hmm. That's that's the whole conversation about it. Like maybe we're an expression of sovereignty, and hence we feel that we can have sovereignty. Mm-hmm. We can have our own sense of being. But uh, so detachment is just really in order to move on and expand for me. At least. Mm-hmm. My reflection. I don't know if I could see it as like real detachment. Totally. And I think, and I think like, as long as we are in these bodies, it's like you're saying, there's going to be attachment. We're attached to these bodies. I'm attached to Hugo. I'm attached to you. Mm -hmm. I'm attached to, you know, our listeners. I'm I'm attached, but it's like the, um, if I can be attached with an open palm for me, at least like when it comes, let it, when it goes, let it, there's just a little less, um, Mm -hmm. resistance. Well, there's an umbilical cord happening. We're feeding each other. Right. And, you know, we're, we're sort of like being fed, you yeah. know, literally that, you know, we get severed and it's our, one of our first traumas out of the womb. Absolutely. But like essentially we're still kind of tethered. We sort of like mm-hmm. our, our, as we say, our intuition or in Yiddish, our kishkas mm-hmm. are always like still receiving sustenance from around us. We're still somewhat with that cord. Yeah. And, and so I think when we make healthy attachments, we strengthen that cord. And that's kind of what, you know, like you want to detach from unhealthy behavior, sure. But you also need to attach yourself to healthy behavior so you're strong enough to keep those enforced. Yes. That simply is, I think, what we can apply the conversation of, of like divine or consciousness. Mm-hmm. It is a healthy exercise for attachment as well. Like if you've attached to old philosophical ideas and they're old because you haven't expanded on them, then then like you're attached to things and perhaps they're there. The other day I was talking to this, uh, um, these people who were asking me about Rosh Hashanah mm-hmm. and I said, well, what's your intention for next year? Let's start with that. And they both were like, Oh, we want to find partners. And I was like, you know, I've been thinking a lot about how perhaps the things we want to find in life, whether it's a partner or somebody or something else or success or a home, whatever we're looking for Perhaps we've made some silent agreements that we don't know of. We were in some relationships that we, you know, misled ourselves or the other person. Yes. And those attachments are there. There's a lot of subconscious attachments we have that I think Rosh Hashanah is here to ask us. I think it's a very proper conversation for that, Mm. about being able to expand ourselves to release ourselves from some of the attachments so we can make some healthier new ones. And then we'll probably have to release ourselves from those two at some point and, and keep and keep keep reworking this. Yes. That's that's the that to me is the mystical conversation around this holiday. Beautiful. That that death and rebirth cycle, right? It's like burying something and planting something look the same. Pretty much identical. Like you you bury this old pattern and you make space for this new one to, to come through. You know, this podcast is called Altered, as I was telling you. 
that for most of us, the moment of alteration, you know, happens often when we kind of get brought to our knees in life in some way, shape, or form. I, it could be big, it could be small, it could be anything. But often when we lay ourselves at the altar of life, we do get a holy shift of some sort. I'd love to hear if you're open to sharing a, a moment that that altered you and what you integrated from that experience. Um, can I first give like a reflection on altar? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Altar itself, you know, in in the in ancient times, altar was like I love this. all sacrifice. Can I just say for a second I Fucking love this. <laughs> Talk to us about altar. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we'll see. It's okay, whatever it is. So, <laughs> they, they used to do sacrifices on the altar, but the word for sacrifices in Hebrew is korban, which also means closeness. So the altar is a place of closeness. Mm. It's about being connected mm. and connected by choice. Like I'm coming to the altar to become close to something. And today, our mystics teach us, gave us this tradition, gave me this tradition to share with you. Mm. that the altar is the dining table. But when we gather around the table mm-hmm. and the healthy spirit with good people, we create a closeness mm-hmm. that can alter our way of seeing the world. It can change the way things are. So there's another layer for the altar. Thank you. It's, it's not just it's, brought to your knees. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and, so, and sometimes it's the simplest advice for someone that works like, oh, they like, want to feel better in life. They want, well, Invite people to your table. That's your altar. Give them your offering. You know, if you can't cook and you're buying the food, well, what is your offering? Good words, bringing good people together, like just hosting. Like there's so many elements here. Like that's the altar of bringing people together. That's what an altar is for, is to bring people together. So that's that's kind of like we gather around that to be close. Oh, so beautiful. And my love language, by the way, is cooking for people. Mm. So you just spoke so much to my heart. I cannot wait to cook for you. And I've eaten your chicken and my boyfriend is still waiting for the rest of the <laughs> Lots of fresh herbs. Okay, great. Farmer's market, fresh herbs. Great. I will give you the rest. <laughs> great, we'll talk about this. We'll talk about the chicken later. Okay. Yeah, Shabbat. Um, an altered moment. You know, I don't know. I feel like I find a lot of a lot of altered moments. Maybe I'm a little alternative, you know. But like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of these moments. Um, this year has been a lot of shifts in my life. I think um, have been a lot. I, I've kind of, you know, what I, I felt like um, I did ayahuasca this year with our friend Lauren Taus. Uh, I can say we both think of her as soul sister, best friend. Yeah. And and. I felt like that was an altar moment. I feel like on some level, it wasn't so much worship, but it was feeling close to self and in a new way mm-hmm. that is, is still having very meaningful tidbits for me to integrate. And in my spiritual guidance of others, it's brought a lot of new insights in, in the type of space and the type of power it takes to create a container for others. On the same time that I want to, continue doing my work and sharing and giving and, and all the above. There's also like an art to build in the container and being able to have that space. Like an altar is also an art, you know, it's an art form of, of creating a space together of having something that is attractive enough to feel close to and give your offering. These things are real works of, of, of beauty and beauty is compassion. It's when things really come together in a beautiful 
way and showcase different things. So I was able to have that this year with that experience and I'm super grateful for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something I knew I needed in my life, but yet, you know, when it calls, you find out only later why the calling is there. Now I know the calling was there to, you know, max out a little bit of what I was doing and open up the new ability to hold a greater container and to have more space for more people. It's like on this march from coming from a Hasidic town in Brooklyn towards being able to be of service and give towards whoever feels like they're, you can have this reciprocal relationship and kind of be open to what the universe sends you and what you're called to do. This was a very big altered state that allowed me to see how I can fit into that authentically because it, I wanted to do it, but I, I couldn't see myself authentically like being actually open to anyone at all times. Mm. Uh, people talk about how they love everyone, but like it wasn't natural for me to love everyone because I came from a very insular community. Mm. So it wasn't like I was taught, I was taught love everyone while you insulate yourself. And then I left the community. So now it's like, I still want to love everyone. I still want to insulate myself, but not as much and more. Less insulation and more connection and more closeness was like, how do I get there? And turns out it was a lot of work. It asked for a lot. You show up to the altar, it's going to ask you a lot. In, in, in the tradition of the temple times in ancient Israel, the tradition was that everyone who came to the altar got a form of prophecy. They had like a prophetic experience. And they would leave with like, I know what to do. That sounds very much like ayahuasca, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> right? Pretty much identical. Right? Yeah. It's kind of it's like, like, you know, and Lauren or Taos would always thought like, parents, you're so psychedelic. Yeah. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she's telling you about the altar and right. the temple. She's like, no, no. It's the same. <laughs> it's, it's the same. It's like, okay, cool. Whatever. And then it's like, here I am. I'm like, oh, wow. What a, what a gift that I got to kind of experience some of my own intuition. You know, and I think I was fine with not experiencing it my whole life, but then I found that I wasn't yeah. like I wanted some of that. And um, yeah, so that this year, I think that was my altered state that really um, brought a lot of deepening to to the own to my own wisdom. You know, that was able for me to apply it in an even deeper way. There's a knowing with a with a K and then there's a knowing with a G, like mm-hmm. the gnosis of it. It feels like there was kind of an integration of what you were already speaking about. Like Lauren said, you're so psychedelic. She's so not wrong. But then to actually experience it in your body, it is so Well, it's also, I thought when I was doing it that, look, at best, it'll at least connect me to the other people who are doing it. So like I can be, you know, I can help bring spirituality to them. Great. I was like, you know, how bad could this be? Yeah. (laughs) But it ended up being like, (laughs) <laughs> a whole different type of experience. It was like, look, how much closer you could be to your own channeling and your own intuition, and your own self. And that automatically is going to give you a deeper connection to those around you. Yeah. Like just, just by being more authentic and, and more authentic means that I, if you're authentic, like this conversation is taking us, but instead of last week, I can't be authentic the same way this week. I have to, authenticity is adaptability is change right. is showing up at the altar. I don't know everything. Tell me more. Give me more to think about. Like like being open. So I think there was a sort of like opening that I um, will be unpacking for the rest of my life that I'm deeply appreciative for. 
and and it definitely felt like a little bit of a burning bush moment, like showing up to something. Um, a burning bush is a is is a mystical term for uh, opposites being connected. It's a bush burning, but it's not burning. It's fire in it, but it's not being consumed. So it's like it's like saying like. I'm in this incredible fire force of life. I'm at the center of my life and so much is going on, but I'm not being consumed by it. Mm. I'm actually being, being like fed by it and, and taught by it. So it was a deeply altered year. I would say so. I would say so. And that, that internal alter alteration has expanded into the physical as well. Like, we talked about shifts in your body and shifts in your connections to people externally. It's like our insides and outsides match. And I think that's part of the authenticity piece. It's like what lives within us starts to show up externally as well. Yeah. I, I had done a lot of work and I've done therapy. And, and When I lost my sister, I really enrolled in therapy. I was like, Oh, I really want to make sure that I'm going to integrate this in a healthy way. And you need some objective responses, but it wasn't, it wasn't what I was really looking for. Just something wasn't opening up for me in these, in these dialogues and these conversations. And part of it was because our brain is so powerful to protect us. It's really like our most, our most protective part of ourselves is our brain is our ego. That is really beautiful. I mean, for all that ego isn't, it really cares about you. It just has a warped way of doing it, like because it remembers every trauma, and it's like, no, no, we don't want, we don't want to stay safe, right? Stay and, safe, and, and you kind of need that. Yeah. Like, imagine every single moment you have all your traumas in front of you. Right. I mean, forget traumas. Big overused word today, but a little, sure. little bit. It's okay. Okay. It's okay. Yeah, a little much. Imagine every awkward moment you ever had in your life always being in front of you. That would be. Real bad. Yeah, real bad. Like, real bad. The ones when you were a weird teenager. Yeah. You know, and going through puberty. Oh, the yeah. ones when you were new at a job. Yeah. You know, the ones you were trying to fit in. Yeah. And all that. Has someone else on a date? Literally in front of you. Yeah. yeah. Literally. Every bad day. Yeah. All in front of you at all times. Like, you wouldn't make it. No. <laughs> no. Right? No. So, yeah. so, like, the ego is, like, incredible. Yeah. Like, oh, we're going to file that away. We're going to file that away. And we're just like, hey, Yashar, keep going. Right. Up north, keep going. Yeah. And, and uh, so obviously it has that healthy side, but there are some of those that like every once in a while you'll have this memory of being awkward and you'll be like, so precious. You know, right? Exactly. And it's like, oh, release. But then there are some harder moments, ones that were inflicted on us where the word trauma is aptly used. And in that space, the ego is over. And it says, you know, all the things to make you afraid of even going there. And we don't always connect consciously to what we're protect- what we're utilizing in the world to protect ourselves. It's obvious when we see somebody who we call, you know, uh, out on the street. We're like, oh, I don't know the traumas they had, but it's got to be, you know. But I don't like that term because what I was using my body to shield myself. I was carrying around. 75 pounds extra on my body just because I thought like, Oh, you know, I eat healthy. I do well, but like, I I don't know. I just can't seem to figure that out. And in reality, it was a trauma. It was a specific time in my life that I had to deal with. And as a six, seven year old, 
and where I put on this body to protect me. And then in a psychedelic journey, having to visit that where the ego melts and having to cross that line, have that experience, and then having to realize that I'm the only one who can heal that kid. Right. Because it's me. You know, I'm the only one who could tell that kid, like, you know, we got past it. We're safe. We're capable. Yes. We're downright awesome. Got you. Yeah. Like, hop on board, baby. We're good. Love you, parents. You know, yeah. and walk out of the woods with the kid on my shoulder, literally. Vision like that. And in that space, I also knew that my body was like, good, we don't need to wait anymore. Right. And I'm like, ever since then, it hasn't been as like, I'm about 16 months into that. I'm 65 pounds down. I'm like, wild. And I wouldn't say it was this massive, like, dieting. I just have been able to keep to healthy eating in a way that I always thought I should. And it's been, I wouldn't say effortless, but it's been coming from a healthy voice all the time, feeling good about it. I haven't had any, like, it doesn't feel like any experience I've ever felt before because it's just like this gnosis. I'm saying gnosis because for me, the feelings are all here. It's gnosis of like, oh, the body's done. So it's just, it's just a matter of time to release itself. Um, I remember like a few years ago when I came to LA, I like six years ago, um, I came to some people and they were like, well, what do you do? I was like, well, I'm a mystic. I channel. I'd like to do that my whole life. And they were like, this is a typical LA thing. They look me up from up to down and they're like, not in that body. And I'm like, excuse me? Wow. Like, like talk about body shaming. Like, wow. That happened a few times. Wow. And, and as it was happening, one guy was like, you're a mystic. Doesn't the Kabbalah say you just decide you're thin and you're thin? Wow. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and, and then, but it turns out that, you know, I wasn't listening to my own mysticism for my body. It was mm-hmm. like, if I decide that like I can handle my load, then the things I was using to protect it aren't needed. And they, and you know, they came like the ego, they came to heal. They think they came to protect me. So that's kind of, I think the, the, I think when you say alteration, mm-hmm. alter, the alterations are not like, it's a beautiful thing to get something and all it needs is a little hammer, or a little something, you know, and get it altered. It's perfect for you. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. It's not only okay. It's kind of made like that. Your body has been given a lot more material and your, your life your life force gives you more material than you could ever possibly use in a lifetime. You have a reservoir of love and goodness and abundance. I mean, a reservoir for each person of, of abilities and talents. You really have everything you could ever imagine, but it needs some alterations for it to fit your vessel. You don't have a a reservoir vessel. Yes. So you need to create that. That's what we do in our life. We create a vessel for all of that to trickle in. Mazel tov, which people say, good luck, doesn't mean good luck. <laughs> Mazel tov means for the reservoir to trickle in to my vessel. Mazel tov, let it continue coming to you. And these are things that with mazel means your destiny. And tov means good. Your destiny is good. Good thing happens to you, mazel tov, good destiny. It's happening in lifetime. So we try to bring that in. Good destiny. Good destiny. Good destiny. Each other. Are there any other things you want to share with the world? I'm kind of like integrating that. That was mm-hmm. so beautiful. Thank you. You know, believe that you have a reservoir of goodness. 
that's where you need trust. You know, not trust that something's going to change. Trust that what is designed for you will reach you. Trust it. And, you know, maybe that'll lead you to believing that you can create a bigger vessel. That you can expand. We have that capacity. We don't have to be what we are. But it needs authentic steps to do it. And it needs real questions. And we need real support. So, you know, you're a person who lives their life and finding ways to be of great support. I get to see that and appreciate that. I love it deeply about you and how you create that capacity. Anybody who's in your presence automatically feels like that. They're great. Like, I'm here to support. And I think that's truly, truly unique. And you take care of yourself. So you, you created a healthy balance to aspire to. So I appreciate that. I appreciate you being a beacon of that type of light for, for people to get their own altered, uh, healthy Mazel Tov experience. <laughs> Epic. Yeah. Where can we where can we connect you? Where can we find you? Where, and how can we support you as well? Um, I put up my offerings basically on Instagram mm-hmm. at Rabbi Parrots. Sure. And uh, there's my links over there. That's the simplest way. Feel free to engage. Please connect to this magnificent soul. Um, you're welcome in advance when you do. Thank you for your presence, for your integrations, for your wisdom, for your attunements, for your muzzle, for your, just for the way that spirit moves through you. It is such an honor to be around. Thank you. You're welcome. And, um, deeply grateful for you and it's been such a loving relationship uh i think we first were like uh, i I remember just meeting you after i already seen you on social media for a while i was like this is even better that's right you're like you're way better in life i was like oh and you're great there too but this you know life is life is where it's at you're welcome that was amazing thank you Guys, thank you so much for being here, taking the time out of your day to connect, to get altered. What a gift. If you liked this episode, please do share it. Share it with someone who could benefit from it. Share it on social media. We need to have these conversations. We need to have free content that we can integrate into our lives. So share it. It would mean so much to me and it will probably mean something to whoever you share it with. Again, if you haven't already, please do leave us a five-star review and a written review wherever you listen to this podcast. It will help us so much and be the best. Thanks so much.